Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And we do have our game review as we traditionally do for a Wednesday pod. Of course, though, it's a little bit different Wednesday, Logan. Because uh, even later today, you will have a second podcast because we will have our Chicago preview up. So we are looking forward to uh, to doing that. But as we sit here recording on Tuesday, uh, we do want to look back and, and see what we can glean off the tape from the loss to Tennessee. But Logan, before that, the talk of the town right now around the football team, uh, non-ownership department as usual, uh, is is the head coach and his comments yesterday at a press conference uh, where he, again, yesterday is in Monday. We're recording this on Tuesday. You're hearing it on Wednesday uh, about what's gone wrong with this team. Cause all of a sudden the rest of the NFC East is, is rolling Cowboys and giants are four and one. They're somehow tied for second because the Eagles are the best team in football record wise. <laughs> I know. Um, and so Ron was asked by Matt Paris, intrepid reporter for the Washington times, the difference between his team and the rest of the division. We wanted to let you hear this in full because the the short snippet sounds real bad, and Ron, through some back and forth with Matt, does ultimately explain himself. Whether we agree with that, we'll get into, but he does go beyond the initial one-word answer. Following up on John's question about the, the Giants, you know, they're up to a faster start. The Eagles, the Cowboys, you know, they've kind of all been rebuilding too the last couple of years, and it seems like they're farther ahead. Why do you think the teams in the division are farther ahead at this point. Quarterback. Is that? I mean, with quarterback, like the Cowboys, for instance, they're, they don't have Dak Prescott this season and still have been able to well, they win. Started with, well, they, well, they started, started with, with him, Dak, but they've... And they built around Dak, and the offense is built around Dak. Um, their backup's a, a guy that is very solid inside of it, inside of what they do. Um, and the truth is that, that this is a quarterback-driven league. And if you look at the teams that have been able to sustain success, they've been able to build it around a specific quarterback. Chose the quarterback here, though. So do you have any regrets about that? Or how do you? No, I got no regrets about the quarterback. I think our quarterback has done some good things. There's been a couple of games that he struggled. Um, but you look at his numbers from yesterday, and you would say, okay, look at his numbers he's had throughout the year. There was a time he was, you know, um, very solid. And then, um, un, you know, we had the unfortunate Philadelphia game and we struggled a little bit in the Dallas game. But the way he performed yesterday, it just shows you what he's capable of. And 
you know, we chose him because we believe him. We chose him because we looked at what we felt were, were, were things that pointed towards him. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I think Ron's got to know, like, what that's going to open up there. But I don't I don't disagree. I don't think he said anything that's incorrect from a football construction standpoint, right? You get guys who are in your offense for a long time. They understand how it works, how it operates. Like, even uh, the Cooper Rush thing, I think, is pretty spot on. Like, you get that guy in there. He's been the backup there for four years now or whatever it is. Like, he knows that system intimately, right? And I do think, like, when you watch Carson, like, he's still figuring it out a little bit. You know what I mean? He's still learning how the system works where the throws are, um, what the reads are. Like, you can just tell. it's, And that's not an indictment of Carson in any way at all. I, I agree with that part. I don't think this is actually throwing Carson under the bus. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's what that is. And I, and I think, like, Carson is, um, you know, he's, he's learning a new system. Like, I had a conversation with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan once upon a time. And one of the things Kyle and Sean said, there's like, it takes three years to learn an offense for even, like, really smart players. And I think you look at team guys who have, been transplanted like Russell Wilson everyone's been watching that very closely like it's hard for quarterbacks even good quarterbacks to learn a new offense and so um you know I think that's totally understandable I think you know maybe you say that because you're I don't want to say you're disappointed but like your quarterback's not playing at the level maybe you thought I don't think it's but I, I don't think he's um like I said I don't think it's an indictment of Carson I don't think uh he's being he's being like he's saying anything that's untrue you know i think that's the thing about that that sticks out to me and i do think that there might be a hint of frustration that's the first thing that pops out is that like man our quarterback left these 10 plays on the field on on saturday or sunday and then these 15 plays the week before that and he really struggled against philadelphia i think that might be in there somewhere but i don't think he's being mean or untruthful or anything like that so when I heard this, like initially first, I was like, "Oh God, here we go!" Right. Um, and Ron should know better. Like he, the press uh, core in Ashburn, Matt Paris, and later uh, some follow-ups by Ben Standig as well. Like they did a really good job of trying to flush that out and not just running with the headline because they could have left yeah. it, and then it's open to interpretation, whatever. I mean, I think Ron got out of the press conference and got a call from Ian Rappaport because Rappaport tweeted like five seconds afterwards. Like, you know, he's not throwing Carson Wentz under the bus here. But, you know, Alex Smith is on ESPN right. saying like he threw his quarterback under the bus and like Alex played for Ron. Um, you know, it's you just have to know that kind of stuff is going to happen. Ron's been around this league long enough. But where I do disagree with him on the substance to take out some of the other issues that he has now caused, the chaos he has created, because it was, I, I don't know why he did it. Um, he I'm, sure, I'm sure you're just like gassed. You know what I mean? Like the, right. you're at, you, he's, you can hear it in his voice. Like I talked sure, to Ron. Like that's part of being an NFL head coach. I get it. But you can tell like that's a slip up. And I think he knows it. Like he apologized to the team yesterday or today, whenever it happened. <laughs> well, we never done this before. Uh, it's a podcast interrupter here on Take Command. Because as soon as we got done recording and had that big, long discussion that, well, you're in the middle of about Ron Rivera, Ron Rivera was asked about his comments yesterday, and they are worth playing, and so thus, here they are. The stuff you said yesterday made a bit of a stir, and you had Alex Smith and other people out there saying stuff. What did you make of their reaction, and do you understand why they reacted the way they did? I do, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I spoke to my team this morning. You know, we, we I basically told them that I said some things that were misconstrued. I didn't present it properly, and that's on me. So I took accountability, told the guys that, uh, you know, I should know better, and uh, I had a bad day. So I figured 
you know, feeling better today. Let's move forward. So to me, as far as I'm concerned, it's really now about the most important thing. That's getting ready for football. Did you worry that you had caused maybe an unnecessary distraction in a week where you short? Very much so. And that's why, you know, I apologize to the guys. And, uh, you know, it's been good. Uh, the players have been really positive about it. And, uh, you know, Carson and I had a nice conversation. So I think we're, uh, we're ready to roll. You said you addressed players this morning, right? Mm-hmm. Did did any players or did Carson um, come up to you at all before that? Did they have no. any sort of reaction? There was no reaction to it. I, I think you know, for the most part, we just we just had to make sure it was clarified um, yesterday, last night, uh, and then today. I had an opportunity to speak to the players, and and I was very you know upfront and just told them, hey, that's on me. I should know better. Me of all people should know better. To be honest, I mean, I've been doing this for quite some time, and for me not to to, to finish my thought completely, um, I messed up. And so I just told the guys that they saw me and it won't happen again. I hope. And, and to your intended point that, you know, maybe the other teams have more around or more familiarity with the quarterbacks. Um, do you feel like you have the pieces now to win consistently? Do you have the depth? Do you have the starter talent to win consistently here? I think going forward, I, I feel good about what we have. It's just now a matter of putting it together. And we've got to do it one game at a time. And we've got to focus in on, on, on Chicago and going out and playing better. And again, as I said, it starts with me. We got to make sure that we are doing the things that we give these guys the best opportunity to show up on game day and play well. Logan and I are going to continue to discuss the substance of what he meant, uh, which is still a very fascinating and interesting conversation and really was the, the crux of what we did, but did want to give you that context that Ron not only clarified, but really took ownership of those comments on Tuesday afternoon. And like, um, and so I, I Again, like he's he's a he's a human being. He made a mistake, but it is totally. it does have ramifications for sure. I, I think I just think at this point, like he's got to be a little bit more on guard than that, and there's higher expectations, which is why he apologized, right? He's allowed. I, I will give him the grace in terms of that mistake. Right. Where I disagree at, with him, and where I am like, what are you talking about? And his answer in the follow up, actually, I might play this for you real quick because the exchange that he has with Ben Standig is where he really really loses me on the substance of this uh, we will pick up with ben's question this was a couple minutes later ron just to clarify the quarterback comment you made before are you saying that the difference between where the other teams in the division are you guys is because of this year the quarterback or do you have had the chance to build around a quarterback since you've been here that's basically it is that this is an opportunity now we have a guy that you know that we think we have a chance to build around you know, we 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 had a guy in Fitz, and he gets hurt the first first what, quarter and a half of the season, and so it was a little different. Um, you know, I I just think right now we have a guy that is really growing in what we're doing. Um, I thought yesterday was a good indicator of his potential for this for us in this, and uh, we'll continue to work with it. One more, real quick, from Standig. Previously said, if you don't have a quarterback, one thing you can do is build the team around it. Then when you get the quarterback drop him in so right. now that you got that quarterback do you feel that the other pieces just aren't there for the for the quarterback to kind of no now he's <laughs> got to work with those pieces it's it, it it's you know um it's like walking into a new new job okay the job's already been there right the newsroom's already been in there you walk in and you're the new guy you got to learn everybody don't you you got to learn to work with everybody i'll learn to do your job with everybody He's not wrong, but he's not right either, in my opinion. Where he's not wrong is like on a base level substance. Yes, you have new pieces. You're putting it together. You have to learn how to work with each other, whatever. But when you pay a guy $28 million and give up a third round pick, 
and you're in year three as a head coach, part of what you're paying for, the premium you are paying for, is the speed at which that happens. You don't have time to waste. And the reality is, up in New York, where it's not a new quarterback, but it is a new coach, they're four and one, and Daniel Jones looks better than he has ever looked in his entire career. So the idea that you can't <clears throat> find ways along the way to win football games and maximize the talent that you have while maybe not reaching its ultimate potential and ceiling, like that's part of the league. That is why or what separates the the great coaches who seem to win with no matter what. Like Kyle Shanahan has a different 100-yard running back every week. A guy gets hurt, he finds a new one because he's got a system in place and it's plug and play and he, he understands how to quickly teach guys what they need to know. Brian Dable has now had success with Josh Allen, who was a really raw project coming out of Wyoming and turned him into an MVP. And Daniel Jones looks better than he ever has. Um, you know, Sean McVay took, uh, what's his name in Detroit? Uh, uh, Jared Stafford. Goff. Oh, Goff. Uh, Jared Goff to a Super Bowl. Um, they didn't win it, but like they got there. And Goff was a young player who barely knew what he was doing. So there, to me, the difference in the organizations is not quarterback. It's coaching. And the coach's ability, the staff's ability to get the most out of the talent that they have available in some expeditious window, that is the standard in the NFL. Right. Um, so there's a lot of ways we can go here. So I'm just going to kind of riff and see if, see if we can get it. there. I got, okay. I got to talk about this stuff on the radio yesterday. So I, I've had a couple of swings at it. Right. So what I will say is that like team construction is, is a fascinating kind of alchemy, right? Like you look at, um, you look at New York, for example, and I think they've won some games they probably shouldn't have won. I think that's coaching. I think that's sound process, all those different things. It's, it's elevating your talent. Right. And then I think when you look at like LA, you made the comparison, like that was one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. They have the most, two of the most valuable, like non quarterback type players on that mm -hmm. team. Right. It's a little different. And so obviously like you look at, the commanders and you say, Oh, well, like, is this a playoff caliber roster? And I think, um, and I don't know if a lot of people would say yes, you know what I mean? And I think that's something that I kind of am kicking back and forth right now. Like, I think they're kind of right on the edge because they have a lot of talent in a lot of places, but does it, does it come together in a way where you're like, yeah, that's a playoff team. Like their wide receivers are, are very talented. You know, we like some of the other offensive weapons. Their D line is, is fantastic, but their back end is struggle. Like there's, it's a mixed bag. And so what I will say is like covering the team, you tend to be like very aware of what the team has and not aware of what other teams has have. Does that make sense? So yeah, like, 100%. In, like in the division, like where does Gibson actually rank or where does Brian Robinson actually rank in terms of NFL running back or where does, um, you know, Terry rank, where does Curtis rank? You know what I mean? I think that that weighing of the roster in terms of absolute talent is an interesting amalgamation, right? And so um, that's one thing I'm thinking about, right? And then obviously the offensive line, I don't think it's where they thought it would be. I think they had higher expectations for Trey, and I think they had higher expectations for uh, Norwell, who I don't think, again, he played bad on Sunday, but I think, you know, for the first four games of the season was fine. You know what I mean? And that's essentially what you're looking for. Um, so, you know, like maybe that's what he's talking about in terms of misstep. But I do think, you know, even when you like look at, look at Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan's one of the best professionals I've ever played with, you know, in my career in Atlanta. And to see him in Indianapolis, like obviously there's a learning curve in terms of adjusting to a new system, adjusting to new playmakers, adjusting to a new roster, right? And I think like right, Matt, like I know Matt's your guy, but like he's also 37 years he's old. 37 years old. Sometimes you hit a cliff. I know, and, no, and I, and I get it, I get it. But when you look at him playing, right, 
Like he's still like when I went and watched two of their games recently and just like, he's playing fine. Right. It's not like he's amazing, but he's not like he's terrible. He's like making reads and getting you in the right stuff, the line of scrimmage, but also he's got like a young ride receiver, rookie ride receiver in uh, uh, Pence, Pennis, however you say his name from Cincinnati. And um, you know, Pittman, who's probably a two in most offenses, young tight ends, right. There's in the offensive line, that offensive line's getting older and kind of playing worse. And so again, like it's not, it's not always this easy insert and like make it happen type of thing. Like football is this complicated thing. There was a drop off with the offensive line. There was a drop off in uh, Indianapolis with the offensive line. I think those things are important. Um, and also I think maybe it's an overestimation of like Carson and what he's capable of on some level, right? You're desperate. For, you're desperate for a quarterback and you say, this is the guy that's going to get us there. And I think though, like on a scale, right? Tom Brady being able to elevate almost every roster in the NFL and then, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, who needs like every single piece around him. I think Carson's probably in the middle somewhere, but he needs a lot around him. He needs a good offensive line. When he's been productive, he's had the best offensive line in the NFL, right? Just really, really solid group. And then when that group degrades and the, the skill positions around him degrade, his performance degrades, right? And I think like that's something, again, like in terms of maybe overestimating where your skill guys were at, maybe overestimating where the offense, uh, offensive line was at and overestimating where Carson's at in terms of that scale of person. And then also, he's also learning a new system. And I'm not making excuses here, but I do think, like, you know, we were talking about this team in the offseason, and we had, there were some high expectations potentially, right? But also, like, I always had to check myself because, like, we're covering this team. We see them every day at practice. We don't see the Giants. We don't see Philly. We don't see Dallas, right? And I think that's sure. something that, again, like, there's a prescient nature to like uh, these roster and evaluations, I guess. Right. But I guess the frustration is it's like, like they followed up with, it's like, well, you, you're the one who constructed the roster. So like, do you have regrets about the quarterback? If the quarterback is the issue? No, we really believe in Carson. He's our guy. And like the reference to Fitzpatrick, like you were going to build around him last year. It's like, no, he was always a one year guy. I don't know what Ron's really saying there. Like, obviously the season didn't go, but like, were you really planning on building around a 40 year old Ryan Fitzpatrick? That's well, I, th I think I think what I, what I would say, what I, the way I interpret that is like Fitzpatrick is an excellent bridge quarterback and a bridge sure. can be a year, two years, three years. Right. And it allows you to kind of buy time, wait to accrue draft capital and then build your roster. I think Philly does an excellent job of that. Right. Like Jalen Hurts was going to be a bridge. And during the course of the bridging, he became the guy. Right. And I think like they've built around it. They accrued draft capital, all those things you want to see when you're building a roster. And so I think maybe that's what he's saying is like it, it kind of accelerated our process a little bit. It forced us to kind of make a move a little bit more dramatically. And I know that's not what people want to hear. People make mistakes. It's a $28 million mistake. I, I'm not saying it even is a mistake, but it hasn't turned out the way they want it to turn out. Right. Well, and then so like that's part one. Part two is like, again, you could build up the roster around it. And I think that's the part of the frustration is like, oh, so you're not psyched with the rest of the roster then. And what were you doing the last three years? And when it comes to like the coaches and the personnel people, like it's a bit of the, I've heard Danny use this analogy. Like it's the Spider-Man meme where the two Spider-Mans yeah. are just pointing at each other. Like, ah, oh, it's you, it's me, it's right. me, it's you. And it's like, Ron's in charge of everything. Right. And so when it's like, what's the difference between you and the three other winning teams that are three of the six best teams or seven best teams in the NFC right now, uh, three of the best, what, four or five record-wise. Yeah. Um, And you're like, quarterback. It's like, man, can you, for once, say the buck stops with me? Like, there's mm -hmm. an accountability thing that I think is very frustrating to the fan base. And 
you know, I think you're in a great position to to push back on that potentially. Like you're because if ultimately, like you've been in a locker room as a player, I haven't. But like if I I would think if I heard my head coach who also was the president of the football operation saying that, I'd be like, man, can you for once stop with the we stuff and say I and say I gotta figure it out and just take take it for us? Because it's just to me the the constant we when we is it's like when I talk about our my show and it's like we gotta do this. It's like I'm the solo host of the show. I gotta right. figure it out. Sometimes I might say we because it sounds a little bit better, but eventually it's like, you know what? I have to do better. And I think that's that's very frustrating, but I don't know if I'm overvaluing like what's said in the press and media stuff versus actual substance with that. I mean, I don't as a player, I didn't really care. Coach would say whatever he wanted. He's the coach, right? I don't care. Like my job is to block a nine technique. That's what I'm supposed to do. And if I'm not doing it, I'm always going to be hypercritical of myself. I'm sure some guys are irritated by it. Like no doubt. Like when I said, when I heard that, I was like, Ooh, that's going to stir the pot a little bit, especially if guys like Carson, like, you know, it's the same thing that happened in San Francisco when, when all that stuff started coming out about Jimmy guys like Jimmy. And then that becomes controversial, right? I'm not sure what that relationship's like. Cause he has just gotten here. And I do think, you know, and like this weird amount, like this weird process of football math, inserting a new person at the quarterback position is it very rarely just hits the ball out of the park, right? I, yeah. I think of an example. I mean, obviously Matt Stafford to LA, right? But he's got great coaching there. He's got a great roster, right? He's got well, that's the thing, there. though. It's like then the difference is the stuff around him. But yeah, but what I'm saying, dude, is like think about sean and think about the resources that's been invested there right think about how they've hit on their draft picks like when you draft aaron donald at the 26 pick overall you don't expect him to become aaron donald it just like is a, there's a little sure. bit of serendipity a little bit of luck right and i do think like that's part of the deal right is like is the roster matthew stafford i think is a better quarterback than carson wentz the roster is better than this roster here and i think the coaching staff is better than, than this coaching staff i think you know maybe not the entire right. coaching staff but i think the offense the innovative offensive perspective of Sean McVay is very, very valuable. Right. So I don't think right. that's like saying anything crazy. Right. No, but like, I think like that's, we're just framing the same point differently. Right. It's like, you're like, yeah, but they've got more stuff. And I'm like, right. They've got more stuff. It's like they on their offensive staff, Sean McVay is the head coach. Kevin O'Connell was the OC. Like you have probably West other Phillips, guys in their future. Yeah, yeah, West who's, Phillips, who's, who's an OC now. Head coach. Like yeah. they've got really top flight stuff. And the commanders were like, if we move on from Scott Turner, literally none of us know who would call the place. And like, that's kind of the thing is like, if you're going to create the system around so that eventually when you get the quarterback, you can hit the ground running as best as you possibly can, which is going to be a different thing for everybody. Did you actually do the job to create the infrastructure? And I think that's I what I'm saying though, no. is that is that's the exception. LA is the exception right? It's not the rule. Like, look at how many quarterbacks switch teams and how they struggle immediately, right? Look at how many teams think that they're available for that quarterback and their roster's ready, but they're not. And you think, like, this is an interesting kind of thought experiment. Quarterback is like the position can elevate a roster, right? Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree agree to that, right? And I think some people say, oh, this quarterback's going to elevate our roster from a six to an eight, right? But what if it's six to a six and a half, which is kind of what I think happened here, right? The elevation yeah. didn't happen as dynamically as they thought. Now, you can argue play callers. You can argue offensive line. You can argue, like, skill positions to a certain extent, I think, right? Health, right? But I do think that that's something that is important here, right? When you think you're a quarterback away 
Like, what does that actually mean? You know, and, and what and like what kind of quarterback, right? Yeah, like shoot, if, if Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, like he came here, yeah, it would be from a six to an eight, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be great all the time. It would like right. it wouldn't, you know what I mean? I might go to the playoffs, I'm not going to the Super Bowl with this roster. But I do think if just saying that out loud, if you had Tom Brady here on this roster, you're not going to a Super Bowl. And and think about the offensive line, how it was in Tampa when he went there. Think about the skill position players. And I don't think you can tell me any of those guys were better than what they or any of our guys are better than what they have there. No, but like they're a they're a surefire playoff team and they're competing right. and who knows what happens in December. Like but, but, mean, but I'm saying but I'm saying, but I'm not I'm saying when Tom Brady went to that team and they were five and whatever, five and ten. Whatever. No, I'm saying if Tom Brady's here. Right. Right. If mm-hmm. you have Tom Brady, Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson and these tight ends and these running backs, like, yeah, that offense is putting up 28, 30 a game. But are you going to the Super Bowl with this with this roster? I mean, I think it was dependent on how the defense played. I mean, the defense is what they are. I think you know what they are. I think they're right. going like, to I, th- I don't 21 think, and 28 points a game is what they're going to do. I don't think it's impossible. You'd have to get really hot at the right time. But like, I think you're in the playoffs and you're safely a double digit. Like, and I think, and we talk a lot about the skill position guys. And I think Tom Brady elevates the offensive line tremendously, right? Yes. But I think, um, but that's still like again a spot where I look at. I'm like, man, they could be playing better, you know. So, so again, like we're talking about to, to Ron's point. Technically, you are a quarterback away, and that doesn't mean that doesn't preclude you from being happy with the roster or where it's at. Can the roster right. improve? Yes, and I think that's what I'm getting at. Right? Is I don't think they got the bump. They thought they were going to get from Carson coming in. That doesn't mean they're unhappy with Carson. That doesn't mean they're unhappy with the roster. But I do think it's a it's a miscalculation on their part. Right. And I guess I'm like my point is then that Ron's the one who made the miscalculation because he's the one in charge of the program. And when you pay 28 million and have a third round pick, and by the way, you still haven't solved your quarterback problem because if right. Carson, unless Carson elevates and finds a groove in the next excuse me couple of weeks. They need to frankly bench him by the end of the season sure. because if you if he plays seventy percent of the snaps this year, the three that you gave up goes to a two. So if right. you're out of contention, you need to play whether it's Heineke or Howell at the end of the year. And now you've got you know you you again gave up a draft pick, spent twenty eight million dollars that you could have spent to keep Tim Settle or whatever, and like built the roster. And you still haven't solved your quarterback problem. And but I, also, but like the, I mean, the last, thing, the last thing I'll say though is like I think the other part of the frustration is that Carson is exactly who he has been, and so like they wanted him to be something that it appears he is not, or at least not anymore. And so it, everyone else who was not second guessing, who was at the time going like, no, that's not the right answer. And then he's exactly who we thought he was, to quote the the late, great Denny Green. He is who we thought he is. And so if that's the case, then the calculation, the, the math was bad up front. And now you're reaping what you sow, and you're not really taking responsibility for it. But I think obviously they were aware of what Carson was. Despite what they're saying now, I, th- I think the evidence that's come out about them trying to go for Jimmy and all that stuff, I think that is sure. more, like they knew it. They needed why did do, they do it? But they That's needed the to do what my point is like they needed to do something. You can't go into the season with Taylor Heineke at quarterback again. You can't do it. So what do you right. do? So you make say we want Jimmy Garoppolo, and then he's off the mark, he's getting a shoulder surgery, right? And mm-hmm. you say, Who is the next available guy that's gonna move that would come here willingly? And come here willingly is the big modifier because probably nobody. So who do we have to trade for? We have to pay a premium to get that guy, right? 
and it's Carson Wentz. And I'm not saying they're settling for Carson Wentz, but they had to do something, and that's the move, right? I was a big proponent of Jameis Winston. He's not going to leave New Orleans, right? Like right. that's, uh, you know, um, uh, what's the guy's name in Cleveland, the backup quarterback who started now, Brissett? Uh, like, Brissett, yeah. That might have been another move. But again, that isn't any different than than uh, Fitzpatrick, really. And I look at the fan base, and I thought the fan base would riot if they did that, right? Because it, it shows they're just treading water. This move is kind of, to me, it's a PR move also, Carson, like to get the fan base behind him. But it's I, I don't think there was any illusion about what this was and what this could be. And like we were, we were talking about this in the off season, right? We knew there was some limitations here and they're just happened to be expressing themselves right now. I do think that they can turn a corner, right? There's a possibility that they play better. Like look at the defense from week one to now light mm -hmm. and day, night and day difference. I think that's a possibility. Carson is playing better. I think there was some, even th some throws he left on the field in the game. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I think uh, there's this like idea that like, you know, that, that they that they kind of screwed this up. I think this is this was always part of the the math. This was always a sum that was achievable for them. And I think like if we were talking about it, you better believe they were talking about it because they're not dumb people in that room. And it's not only Ron. It's like the the personnel evaluation. Like right. it's a it's a crazy comprehensive thing. So I think that's the thing about that. Like all of all of what he's saying, like none of it's untrue. It just isn't the result that we want, I don't think. Right, but I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, if that's the case and the result was predictable, then it was a silly decision to make the thing in the first place because now everyone's, like, how's the PR move going, right? It's like, nobody's nobody's actually happy about this. Sure, you might have won a couple of days of, of favorable coverage in March, but, one, it speaks to your organizational ineptitude that you can't willingly get a quarterback here. Um, because of a litany of reasons from the owner on down, if we're being completely honest about the situation. Um, two, like, sometimes there aren't great moves, but making a move for the sake of making one that hurts your future ability to make a better move is a bad, like, that's bad process. But and, and that's, what I'm going to say to you, I, though. I, I guess I'm, I don't buy into what they did. What's the alternative, though? Is it what's the play of the season with Taylor Heineke? Is that the alternative? I mean, they could have. I mean, who knows? We don't know the alternatives because they they never got to the point of exploring them. We don't know if they could have gotten in on a Marcus Mariota or someone of that level where you pay less short term to be able to keep a better roster around, and then ultimately maybe you get in on Baker. And I know Baker has been a disaster in Carolina, but like Carolina, like a what, yeah, yeah, but like, but yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. It's like. I think this was the best opportunity to give you a, to give you a shot, maybe, you know, like, cause I don't think Baker was ready. I don't think Mariota, like, I think he works well with Arthur Smith cause they've been together before. And that's a run heavy, sure. innovative kind of Robert Griffin, the third type of offense to running down there. But again, like that's kind of my, my thought again, like there was a whole bunch of bad moves. The draft is really weak, all that stuff. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I part is like, could you have, could you have gone Heineke and a guy like, like Desmond Ritter, whatever, when he gets drafted, you know, like, would you, I guess it's also like, would you rather be Washington or Pittsburgh right now? Would you rather right. have Kenny Pickett or would you rather have Carson Wentz? I think they would definitely, you definitely would have more grace from the fan base if you have Kenny Pickett. And like, I don't, I don't think Kenny Pickett, I think he's a good football player. I don't know if he's the answer, you know, in terms right. of watching, thinking back to my evaluation of him. Sure. And, and I don't disagree with that. But like if let's say he's terrible and you wind up with the number one pick next year, do what you did with jo what the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen a couple years ago. Like quarterbacks too valuable not to get right. 
And if you're going to take swings, I would rather take a swing that doesn't inhibit one, the rest of my roster and the 28 million to get Carson definitely did that. And by the way, they're telling you they're not committed to Carson by the finances because they could have restructured that deal and guaranteed some, some more money. They didn't, they left themselves the out after this year. So you, they, the 28 million and they cost themselves a third and potentially second round pick next year. Like that is a massive price to pay for a team that's not complete yet. And, sure. and I think that's like, that's the problem is like you go down this route of because it wasn't really like they want to posit it as like unknowns. And I don't think for a lot of us who said predicted exactly what is happening to happen. Like it was a known up front and the known was bad. A, a bad no doesn't actually make it an unknown. But uh, I don't, th- but I don't think, I don't think it was like as, and again, we're, we're talking in circles here. I don't think it was as definitive as people want to make it seem. I think there was an opportunity because like people say, Oh, well, like, Look at our skill position players like Carson does sure. well with good skill position players. This offense kind of speaks to what Carson does well, like, you know, all those different things. And so I think we're kind of rewriting history a little bit in terms of our optimism about Carson. But I, I don't I, I agree. Like it, it's there. This was always a possibility. Yes, I think it depends on who you ask. I was sure. not I was pretty, pretty not psyched about the trade. Uh, I mean, I don't think the train is I don't think the trade was good, but I think in terms of the yeah. player, like I think something different, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I hear you. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time, baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I think that was a really good, like, an insightful back and forth, even if we agree to dis- Like, I hate agreeing to disagree because often it's done in ways that is stupid. But, uh, you know, I think I think that's a healthy agree to disagree. I don't disagree uh, with anything. You, I don't, like, so yeah. just to be clear, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think it's just important to kind of provide maybe an alternative. You know what I mean? And, like, do I agree with everything I'm saying? Like, probably not. But is it good to kind of walk that out? I I think so. Just to kind of think yeah. about it in a different way, you know. No, I I hear you. I, I hear you on that. Um. All right. How did Carson actually play on Sunday? Um. We know the we went through some of the goal line stuff, uh, or I went through it in depth yesterday on the show. Which is pretty um, cool, but, by the way. Did, is that up on YouTube still? Yes, it is up on YouTube. Cool. Um. So we, I basically screen recorded as I went and was able to circle some stuff and hopefully we'll be able to do that with the podcast soon. Uh, we use a different recording platform than I use to record stuff for the show. But I think we should be able to figure that out. Um, so we'll talk to Matt and and see if we can do that soon. Because uh, obviously Logan's doodles and circles and, and directions will be much better than mine. Uh, but if we look at Carson on the whole on the day, 
Um, I didn't get a sense during the game that he played. Like, he had obviously some fantastic throws. Yeah. Individual great plays that show the importance of shot plays, that show the importance of the big play. Um, the touchdowns, uh, plural to Diami, phenomenal, can't do it better. Um, but overall, how did he play on a, on a day where he puts up huge numbers, but they only score 17 points? Yeah, I think I think he played fine. I think the thing when that was frustrating when I watched it back is I felt like there was a couple, probably like seven to ten, like missed opportunities or things he didn't read right. And I think that um, that's significant over the course of a game. You know what I mean? Just missed opportunities, missed throws, like not getting, you know, kind of to Ron's point, like not fully immersed yet in what they're doing. And um, that can be tough, you know. And I think the other thing that was kind of difficult for me to negotiate is like, so much of the offense came in the two minute drive and some of it was so much of it was in shot plays in terms of sustaining offense. It was actually very little. And I think some of those mistakes kind of lead to that, you know, lead to those that lack of the ability to sustain the drive kind of thing. So, you know, I think um, I'd give him probably, I don't like to give grades, but I think he did okay. And I think mm -hmm. there's always room for improvement, but that's how you feel as a former player, you know, and as a coach, like I coach now, like, there's things he could have done better and there's things he did well. And um, it's about learning from those kind of missed opportunities and, and getting this team to a better spot. I think they'll have a really good opportunity to do that against Chicago this week because they play a right. similar defense. So it'll be good. Um, on the sustainability front, how much of this is like being in good place, getting your eyes in the right place off the snap, like reading the right side of the field. Also, you know, if you want to touch on Scott's uh, game in here as well, I think that's relevant. Um, because again, it felt like a game where there wasn't a ton of motion, not a ton of shifts. Um, they'd use it a couple or they they used formations obviously a couple times. The second touchdown to Diami, um, they split Cole out uh away and and get a mantel and audible into it. And it's it's the perfect call and it's great execution. Um, so how how in that, you know, referendum on Carson, if you will, uh did Scott do on Sunday? I think that's a tough thing, is like when you look at some of these plays, it's like gosh, like this is like, this is open. This, like, this is where the ball should go. Like the pressures maybe a little bit in his face or like, here's another shot play that they just miss out on. Right. Like later in the game, they ran, you know, the, the play to Diami where it's like uh, two in cuts to the left and then a post to the right. They ran that play again later in the game and Cam Sims is coming open on it and Carson takes a sack. And I kind of, in my mind, I'm like, man, that's good process by Scott, right? Protection breaks down. And then I'm also like, man, you know, I understand this is a tough play for Carson to make, but like right when you get to your back foot and you see this look, like throw the football. You know what I mean? Like I know it's tough. Yeah. Like, I'm, it's like it's like a like a difficulty eight out of ten. But sure, but like, like that's I mean, this goes back a little bit to our previous discussion too of like, well, what's yeah. what's the goal here? Like right. that, you know, if things are exceptions, sure, but like most of the league is mediocre and average, and the exceptions we're talking about are the ones that win football games and win right. Super Bowl. So how, what's to me the standard is like what's the exception and i will say i was actually going to ask this as a follow-up in general is carson late a lot and part of that might be him still learning the system but like some of the goal line stuff where like yeah. the balls out as the receiver gets out of their cut there is a window they close like that but it does feel like there's some misses in this offense where carson is just late to getting to what would otherwise be an open receiver so it's really interesting you use the word late because sometimes I think he is late. I think like, um, and some, and sometimes I think he's too fast, which is going to sound crazy. So let's talk about mm -hmm. both. So there was a, um, like a dig, like they ran a lot of digs in this game, which is great because it was killing this Tampa two coverage they were running. It was so open. Right. And I feel like Carson is rushing to get the ball to certain play, like to, to certain routes, as opposed to like 
remember we talked about taking a hitch, like get to my drop, hitch, let it develop, see the window, and then throw to the spot, right? And there was probably, I want to say, two of those, three of those in the game. There's the, the post that I mentioned. There's um, kind of, a, I think, um, on the the um, the fourth and two, the fourth and five, whatever that was. The fourth, where they and, ran, four. Yeah. fourth and four, where they ran a concept where they're kind of running a pick route for Terry, and Carson tries to throw to Curtis, and Terry comes open off the pick like very nicely in a window there. And just understanding that kind of, like when that's going to happen, I think he rushes that sometimes, right? And then you mentioned the goal line, and I think it was the second play of, of the series. You know, they run a corner and a flat to the right, and then they run like an over the ball by the tight end and then a dig by Dax. And the thing that stuck out to me about that is I felt like he was too fast, right? Because he's he goes from corner to, to tight end to the dig, and then he goes to the back. And I'm like, man, it's drop eight. There's three rushers. The pocket's good. You can take a beat, right? Because the thing that's frustrating about that is someone attaches to the tight end. The dig comes open at the back line. He's still got to make the throw. There's a window there, right? And it's yeah, in the if line. If that's Jahan, he throws that ball, and, if it, and it's a touchdown. Commanders win. And so, and so to me, like for him just to go like literally like one, two, three, like that's – a little too fast there for my for my blood right and then even on the last play of the game like when he goes he like he like looks to the does he look to the right even like it's just too fast to the back like that's the that's the check down portion of that route concept where he throws the interception like you're you are there too quickly for that to be effective and the reason that comes open late is because you've looked to the right you've looked at terry over the ball and now you're at the back right and it's drop eight they're only rushing three people right so take a breath man you know what i mean and so that's the type of stuff like being a little bit slow on some of the other stuff and then being a little bit fast on some stuff. And I think like, that's where like to Ron's point, it, like there is a familiarity with the offense and a familiarity with the guys, like, you know, knowing that Terry is going to come open on this dig and you can hit that for, for a strike. Like there was another play where they were running like a corner and a post to the left. He doesn't like it. And instead of going to the dig, he goes to the back and the dig is open with nobody around them. Right. And I think like I look back to like Drew Brees, for example, and he made a killing just he would just check it because he knew the coverage, check it and then throw the dig. And I'm like, man, that would have been a 25, 30 yard gain, maybe 40 yard gain because there's nobody around the guy. And so those are the types of things where you you see he's not totally immersed in what they're doing offensively. And I think that's where the struggle comes in, because the question was about Scott and like, do I find fault in some of Scott's plays? Yes. But then I see that stuff and I'm like. If he hits that, are we even having this conversation about Scott? Probably not, you know? And it's like, are there details that can be cleaned up? Always. But that's that's where I have this kind of, I'm, I'm of two minds. Like, are you putting Carson in the best position to be successful? And are and is Carson executing Scott's offense to a high level? And I don't know where the answer is because I see some of these plays and I'm like, man, like, that's a huge play. They missed this. And that happens with every game. So I don't want to sound like I'm being super nitpicky. But when the process isn't correct, I'm like, Carson can be better. I don't know. It, it's it's like again. I, even right now, I'm kind of spinning my wheels about. Yeah. It. Well, this gets to the question of like, can he? Right. And I'm not yeah. saying that's a bit like harsh, but you know, Carson has all the physical tools to be the greatest quarterback ever. Right. Like he's got the yeah. incredible arm. He's big. He's you know all the. He's somewhat mobile. It depends on the day. Um. He's he's run a little bit more the past couple of days. He's obviously not as mobile as he was when he was younger. Um. Per, you know, pre injuries and surgeries, etc. But. He's still got some some movement to him. He's hard to bring down in the pocket, all that stuff. But the the restriction is is up here. Like the restriction is, can he understand conceptually what is happening to be able to process it at the proper speed? 
to understand that this route has to be thrown now. And this one, he has, I have to wait on to see how it develops. And if thing A doesn't happen, then I immediately go to thing B. And mm-hmm. like, it's way easier to do sitting in these chairs. Yeah. Obviously. I mean... Obviously. Like that is, you know, I was thinking about all these different play calls and things that I would love at the goal line. And I'm like, oh, then about, what about that? What about this detail? What about that? Oh, what if we did this? And it's like, Scott's got to make those calls. Like, in you know, in between the time the ref announces the penalty and that Carson gets to the line of scrimmage, um, now you'd hope that some of that prep happens during the week. And I actually, want to ask you about that um, coming up. But overall, the speed at which all of this happens is very, very fast. Mm-hmm. But again, the standard is that you have to be able to handle it, and that that's where I don't have a great answer um, to your question, obviously. But I wish I did. But I think it's yeah. the right question: is like, are they putting Carson in a position to succeed because they're handling or handing him things he can handle and he's not actually doing it or are they giving him stuff that works on paper that he actually can't handle and that's Mm -hmm. part of the problem of why they're not having as good of games and as good of production and scoring as many points as they should based off the talent yeah and i think like that's that i mean that's like you said like that's the million dollar question like i was talking talking to grant earlier and grant is you know super bright guy and one of the things he said, and like I totally agree with this, is that like it's never perfect. Quarterback play is never perfect. And so right. how how much of this like going through like a loss, for example, is us searching for perfect, you know? And I that's where I've got to check myself too. And I'm like, hey, like, is this is this is, is this doable? Is this is this a physical thing that this quarterback can do? And I and I felt like in this game there was probably, like I said, seven to ten opportunities where that could have happened, right? But right. how compared to other compared to other quarterbacks, compared to other offenses, how real is that, right? So I think that's the thing that kind of sticks out to me is where is that line? That's why it's so unknowable. Is because like, am I being realistic with this? Like the post that he missed in the second half on play like thirty seven or thirty eight, mm-hmm. like the, I I am acknowledging that's a tough throw, that's right. really hard to do, but also like he can do it. I've seen him do it, right? And he just kind of second guesses himself for an instant. And then it's gone and it's a sack, right? So I think that's again, but again, and that, that would, that's an amazing play. Everyone goes crazy. And I understand that. But there's also other plays that are a little bit easier that he's missing on, right? So it's like, and missing is just like not seeing it or kind of getting spooked or whatever it may be. Also, sometimes getting real heavy on his back foot and chucking it high. A couple yeah. of those in there too. And, and again, like, but no quarterback is perfect. No, they're not right. going to throw a perfect game. And so that's where I get on the fence about like, is this, is Scott asking him to do too much? Am I seeing these opportunities and saying yes, when it really is kind of unrealistic. And um, I try to be as real as I can about it. Uh, but that's why this, the answer to this question is so hard to figure out. Right. Um, I'm going to, well, I want to ask you this about the goal line sequence. Um, I'm going to save my super nerdy question. Cause we were very long today. Cause we had that great discussion off the top. Um, but goal line situation, like what'd you make of the play calls and, and their ability to succeed there? Um, I obviously talked a lot about this on the show yesterday, um, but I want, I want your opinion on what you thought at the time and with chance to review what you, what you thought. Right. So I think, you know, obviously the first play calls mesh and uh, you know, like we've talked a lot about how they, they, like that, the they like that play a lot, like in certain situations or some variation of mesh, right? It doesn't always have to be mesh, but some variation of mesh. And so I'm okay with that. If you if you feel like you want to know what they're doing and figure out what the what the philosophy is, um, that's fine. Run mesh because it's like you're it's like you know running stick or running some version of quick game that you feel really comfortable with and Carson feels comfortable with. Great. Yeah. After that, um, real I, quick, just for folks that don't realize what happened on that play, 
Carson thought he had Cam Sims running on the back line of the end zone. And at the time that Carson lets go of the ball, Cam is actually on the, the proper side of the defender to potentially run down the back line and catch a jump ball. Cam stops, yeah. um, which I don't really, it's just like miscommunication. It's not like, I don't know if the Cam broke a cardinal rule. I think he was starting to like try to reopen the other direction, but that's why that ball is floated near the end line and almost picked. So yeah. it, it, people are trying to figure out where he was throwing. It, it's kind of easy to see on tape when you watch it back. Right. I, I thought for anyone who hadn't seen that yet, I would close that loop. So, right. No, even- no, for sure. So, and then, so they come out and they do, they play the Tampa two drop eight. If they do that and that's, that's what we get. I'm calling plays that I think are good versus that, right? And so, again, like you run a corner to the flat, you can argue that that's good versus cover two, right? Because you got a flat, someone holding the flat player, and then a one-on-one matchup on the corner with the safety, okay? And then the dig to the backside, I like, I like that, you know, because you're getting a, a, a safety outside leverage, and you're getting the the mic matching the tight end, mm. throw that ball, right? So. Again, like this is me kind of like talking myself into stuff, right? I say once you know the coverage off that first right. one, then call a play you like. And I do I like that play? Not necessarily, but do I see the value of it? Sure. Right. I think the next play is the one that gets a little weird to me, right? So you run again, essentially something on the right side of the formation that could be good versus this coverage, which is this Tampa two coverage, right? So you get Cam Sims running like a vertical, basically to uncover, like a like a deep stop route. Right. And, it's kind of like a spacing or a version of a spacing concept. Yeah, but it's deeper. It's like in the end zone. Right. And I've seen that concept before and I don't hate it versus this. Right. The the thing I hate, though, is like we've already talked about is I don't like how fast Carson is reading through his progression on the play before with the corner and the dig. Right. And then I also don't really get why I can't like give give that dude who's six five on a linebacker an opportunity there. Right. You've, so basically what they do is they're running two kind of space. I like how you describe that. It's two deep spacing concepts. The safety matches uh, Curtis on the outside. So mm-hmm. there's a window. Is it a tight window? Yeah, absolutely. Is it's there the red a window? zone. You're in the two yard line. Of course. It's right. A tight window. That's the throw, in my opinion. That's where the ball's got to go. And so, again, like when I look at stuff that's frustrating, I'm like, do I like these play calls? No, not necessarily. Like I would call something different. I'm from the West Coast offense. It's just a different deal. Right. But do I see the value of them against this coverage? Yes, I do. Do I? The thing that I think falls down for me is like Carson ripping through this progression at a point where I'm like, does he even know like where the matchup is? Like that's how fast he's going through there. And he's not letting it marinate. He's not giving it time. Like, and I'm sure Scott, he's a smart dude. We've talked about this before. Like he understands it's drop eight. You got to take a little bit of a breath, right? To, to let everything kind of, um settle right you're not getting a rush and so i think that's again like when i kind of point and say like carson didn't he played okay but not great like those two plays really jump out to me as like mate like give your give your guy a chance there in the context of the concept you know right. and like totally don't let totally. the moment be too big i get i don't i don't want to be i don't want to sound like i'm being critical but that that's like that to me encapsulates where carson's shortcomings are like there are throws like that throughout the game that he doesn't hit, right? And so it's like it's just kind of captured there. Like, do I like do I love the concept? No. But do I see why it's good versus that? Yes. And so sure. where's the execution? I guess is the next thing I would say. Um, yeah, and that's just so killer too, because uh one thing that's gotten lost in all of this is they had another down. Yeah. Um, and on fourth down, running the ball becomes a factor. 
So you can can something. And if all of a sudden they play that drop eight and give you two yards up the middle, like you can run straight ahead and see if you can get those two yards. Like they're, I that was you know I well I'll save that for another day maybe no, we'll that, that's episode. a great point though that's a fantastic point yeah. oh, that, I was that's... gonna ask if you thought you could they could run it on first like do something like that on first down right like could you have canned a run on first down and if you get the exact right look be like so uh, I'm just gonna go for it right this is just gonna be a long podcast today it's a podcast this is the beauty of it right um could you have gotten and this is a situation you'd have had to practice so this is gonna take longer to explain than Scott would have been able to have but if you practice the situation theoretically this would be possible or i guess is it possible is what i'm asking let's say you have one word call at the the goal line and superman is your play right and to me superman is a fade to cole turner because he's very large um (laughs) you go superman can duo right and you know whatever they however they do it like i think on j system 12 was you know one side 13 was the other so let's say let's say it's it's uh you know superman can 12 duo guys if we run if we go to the run and we don't get in line up again we're running superman mm. and that way you because part of the problem is you then waste it down with a spike if you don't get in but if you can get back to the line of scrimmage and you fake like we're fake spiking like we're the whole thing you know you know clock 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 that's how sometimes you catch defenses sleeping on that fade route and so i i actually like the more i say it out loud the more i actually kind of like that but you would have had to practice that exact situation to have everybody on the same page Obviously, you're only then going to the handoff if you have like a vacant front and you feel like you can get that push. I also get not having a ton of faith in your interior offensive line because they weren't having a great day. But like from a time, whatever, you know, the ability to call that, get it right, everybody on the same page standpoint, is that something they could have done on first down with just 19 seconds left? Yeah, I mean, you have enough time to do it. It's just about like whether you feel you can get the execution done. Like it, it comes back to your point. Like how much have you repped that? How much have you talked about it? You're coming off of a penalty. And then like, did they had like a, I think they had a timeout. Didn't variable call a timeout to see how they were going to line up. Yes. Yeah. yeah so, they did. so they eventually did ultimately have a, a timeout that they could have talked that through. Right. So you could have talked through that. Um, I think the thing, again, I don't think there's a right answer here necessarily. Cause there's just different ways to get there. I'm going to bet if I'm the coordinator on running four plays, like, that's what I want to do. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, and I, I think the you. problem with running the ball on first down is that if I'm, def- if I'm Mike, if I'm Vrabel, I'm basically saying like every single human being jump on that pile if they don't get in and right. let's take 15 seconds to get out of there. So right. when that happens, it's not that you, it's not that you can't stop the clock because you can, you have enough time. It's that you lose potentially two plays. Right. And if I'm betting percentages, I want the plays as opposed to like the perfect play call. You know what I mean? Sure. Agreed. And I think you bring up a great point, like on that fourth down. So, so the way that I'm familiar with beating drop eight is like the classic Tony Romo. Like you just sit back there, the rush kind of runs around you and then someone gets open late. Cause like no one's ready to cover for six seconds. I right. think that's where the value of that fourth down play is. Right. Is right. that right. you could have, it's, it's an untimed down essentially like go for it, you know? And I think that's what kills you. You know, that, that's what, that's why that's so disappointing. Uh, you know, I thought about also like if, cause he called timeout and he, and he, they came out in this spread formation, right? If you just said, screw it. And then got into like goal line and they're in 11 and just said here, like, let's win the game on one play. We can get two yards versus 11 personnel versus your nickel. Right. Like that's what I, I was, I milled that over for a second when I saw that live. Uh, but again, there's a lot of risk there, right? Cause you're losing plays. Right. So, 
I don't really have a problem with what Scott did. Um, I know a lot of people were like, just run the ball, win the game. Yeah, da, da, da. I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I think where I land is like, I don't necessarily say run the ball. I do love a fade there. Like, yeah, it, yeah. I, but you got three different guys. I love the fade to, I love it to Terry. I love it to cam. I love it to, to Curtis, uh, or to Cole. I beg your yeah. pardon. Um, I, uh, and it's also a play that. in that situation where you have like a fade is the fastest play you can kind of run there. Like yeah. it's guaranteed to be three to four seconds. Yeah. One, two, three balls out. It's incomplete or it's touchdown and you win. And like, again, the lack of creativity, like I'm now I'm getting a little crazy, but like I'm coming out in like two by two and running a guy across and maybe even like then putting my back out in like the diamond formation. Like I'm throwing a bunch of eye candy over here to guarantee I get the one-on-one matchup for my fade route on the other side. Like there's like, that's the kind of stuff that I feel like the best coaches do. And that like, again, everything Scott ran was solid, but there's no play that's like, Oh yeah, we got him. I love this. So this is going to go win the game for us. Yeah, so I think that's the thing that I think I got to be aware of, fans got to be aware of, is you don't draw something up on the sideline. You just right. don't do it. It's That's the NFL. Like, if you didn't put it in in the week, it's not there. So I would assume they have a two-point a two play, a couple two-point right. plays. Right. And I'm surprised we didn't see those because I felt like we got right. a lot of base offense. Um, right. And again, like the last two plays, I'm I'm okay with that. Like, I think they're, I think they're, sure. they're reasonable. But um, – you know, I didn't see a two-point play. And I think that's right. the thing that kind of sticks out to you. It's like, you And know, it's what... hard to, to, in fairness to them, because they don't have the threat of run. So, Correct. like, they're not going to line up under center and, like, get any advantageous anything out of that. Um, right. And that's, that, that's, that's why tough. that situation maybe, is... Maybe that's why all their two-point plays were out of, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, like, they don't have anything that feels like, wow, they were so ready for this moment at the two-yard line. And uh, they just called some plays and, and we're kind of taking the, I think the percentages of if we get four shots at it, we'll get the two yards with one of these things. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, they got intercepted on third down and we'll never know what would have happened. Up Let's wrap up the show. Take command podcast from Odyssey sports, Greg Hoffman, Logan Paulson on this very long podcast. We are podcasters. We don't know a clock. What's a clock? All right. Uh, defensively, biggest storyline is the benching of William Jackson. But ultimately, as a unit, the the more substantive uh, talk is that I think they were pretty good and the defensive line was dominant. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, that's it. Like, they have played well outside of, like, 10 plays the last three weeks, which is crazy to think about, right? Like, if they can limit that big play to um, Westbrook Aquina. Like they win that game, and I and like right. Bobby's not in a bad spot. Montez is about to sack him. Like all those different things, you know. It's just and then the screen early on, they're going to get some of those plays. But I think they played a pretty good game there, you know. And obviously the 15 play drive, there's the um, the little shovel pass or the little flick that um, that uh, Tannehill throws to the back and is a, for a first down. Then there's the penalty later. Like those are mm-hmm. that's a big deal, right? So those are big plays. But again, are we talking about that in the same way? Um, if they win, probably not just because like they did a good job. They're playing physical football. The front's doing a good job. Allen sweat, you know, uh, James Smith Williams had an excellent day on the defensive line. Casey Tuhill with a couple pressures and draws a holding call. Like, holy cow, man, that group did a great job, uh, the other day. And 
I think that's the thing that I get super frustrated about is that there is good things on this football team, but you don't know about them because the offense isn't getting it done. Right. Right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the the crap part of it. Uh, this defense yeah. played. Jack deserves a ton of credit for how they've turned it around. I The guy that I think deserves uh, maybe the most credit on the field is Cam Curl. Like he has completely organized them and, it's not just the organization that's like very apparent when you watch like the run fits and things like that. Um, but like the way he shows patience on some of those plays and forces plays back where yeah. they were getting out in that, that first week or even some of the Detroit game, like after he kind of knocked the rust off and he was back, man, they, he just shows up and he also brings a physicality where like he comes up and he pops people. And I think they were missing that without him even as physical as Forrest was like having another guy like that yeah. uh, I think I think has done wonders for them um and then we'll see what happens in the secondary obviously it looks like moving forward St. Juice is going to be outside we'll see if Rashad Wild Goose can pick it up um you know obviously had a really rough first down he made a couple plays on Sunday and he's going to get more comfortable the more reps he gets and uh that seems to be the the new thing moving forward and we'll see uh, also, by the way when Percy Butler gets back um yeah. you know where he fits into that uh, as a Buffalo nickel Sure, and I also think it's important to say, like, Cole. Cole did a great job. We don't talk about him a ton on this show because yeah. he's kind of Mr. Steady Eddie, but he had a lot of one-on-ones with Derrick Henry and, like, getting to the right run fits and playing off guys and, you know, just playing good football, you know, and getting people lined up with that green dot. That's a big deal. So I think that group's done a nice job. Uh, again, like the big play, the couple, the the shovel, the the penalties, all, the, all those things are significant. But I think on the whole, you say that's a winning effort. And uh, it's just too bad, right? Like the offense couldn't really possess the football. Tennessee, short, Tennessee shortens the game, limits the opportunity for the offense to touch the football. Um, and that, but that's, you got to know that going in when you, when you play a team like Tennessee. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot to say there really outside of, and then obviously the benching. But I, I think we all kind of felt that was coming. Yeah. You know? I mean, again, weird stuff from Ron not really mentioning the back injury while Jackson's like, yeah, my back's hurt. Um, that's, I, I mean, who knows? Who know? Jackson could be making excuses. Ron could not be, uh, you know, not like the way Jackson's handled himself and and kind of be making a statement. Who knows the politics of, of football yeah. drama? Uh, sometimes it's it's a very gigantic soap opera. Uh, and if, but if, but if I'm if I'm if I'm Jackson's agent, I'm definitely saying like, say your back's bothering you. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like that's yeah. what I'm telling him to say. Like, and it makes sense. And like, I'm not going to fault him for that because it helps no. me get picked up by another team if if the writing is on the wall for him here. So yeah, definitely. Which it certainly does uh, does seem. Which that's the only thing I question with Ron is like, if this is a guy you think that you're going to need moving forward uh, potentially, like if a guy gets hurt, is he back out there? Or yeah. you just like inactive, like sorry man, or are you cutting him in the middle of the season? Like that is kind of the weird, the only weird thing where it's like. Just keep the peace, man. Yeah, um, seriously. But I, I totally get it from Jackson's side. And I also get Ron, though, kind of probably wanting to, on some level, establish the meritocracy. Like, no, no, no. We made the move because we want the best guy playing, and he wasn't the best guy. And, like, I actually don't really fault Ron for that either. All right. Uh, that's that's a podcast. Boy, was that a podcast. Uh, and uh, we'll, we're going to do it again tomorrow. Uh, we will, you know, obviously we try to put things out first thing in the morning, but with the condensed week, Basically, what we'll do with our Chicago preview is once we record it, we'll put it out. Uh, so as soon as Matt can get it edited, he's got a lot on his plate, uh, as do the rest of us. So we will figure out a way to get that out ASAP. So, Logan, what should people do to, to make sure that as soon as that podcast is out, that they have it? I think they should subscribe, right? 
Yeah, that's that's exactly what they should do. So subscribe to Take Command anywhere you get your podcast, wherever you're listening right now. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, happy, happy match day minus two. <laughs> <Take Command. laughs>